morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially those who consider themselves new to our church. We are awful glad to have you today. Thank you for making us your church home for an hour. Um, we are in the process of beginning a, an initiative for, for property acquisition. I am so grateful to God every day of my life that he has allowed us the privilege of stewarding this little 5.6 acre piece of property off 28. Every day of my life. That is accentuated by the fact that having been a part of the planting of this church in 1982, that for 25 years we had nothing. We had no place to be. We were nomads for 25 years. So you could say, I'd be happy with anything. But I'm really happy about this. I'm grateful to God. But I emphasize the fact that it's 5.6 acres. And we use every inch, every inch to try to cram all that we do on this piece of property. We realize that the Lord has continued to bless us and that for which we are not, we can take no credit, we're not worthy. But in that blessing, more people, more needs. So we need more stuff. We need more property. We need more buildings. So we are in the process of trying to figure out what property acquisition looks like. And I would ask that you all would participate us, with us in prayer at least and minimally in the coming months as we unveil to you maybe some specifics about what that looks like, how you might want to engage one more time in a building campaign. <laughs> if you are part of this church, let, let me just tell you now, there will never be an opportunity where you won't have an opportunity to give. We're always going to provide you with many ways to, to release your funds. All good ways of progressing the vision that we believe is important to see in our city one. So we'll give you more information in the coming days. Turn with me over to the book of Hebrews. We're going to continue our series on faith. <clears throat> And today we're going to look at Enoch, chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. Enoch, chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. Um, the, the title of the message is Pleasing God. Pleasing God. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Lord, help us as we study your word, please. Amen. Two things on this passage about which I'd like to speak to you. One, the believing, um, pleasing, requires a belief. And pleasing gives benefits. Pleasing requires belief. If you want to please God, you've got to have faith. And then pleasing him brings benefits to your life. Enoch is a really interesting guy. There's not much written about him in the Old Testament. He's found in the book of Genesis chapter 5. And we know that he is in the seventh generation from Adam. He gives one verse and a half, really, that he walked with God and he had a son, and 
He was no more after 365 years because God just took him. Now there are some commentators that believe that that taking was kind of a metaphor for that he died rather than just saying he died. The problem with that is a good exegetical study, which is the picking apart of Scripture, finding out to whom it was written, who wrote it, the context, the grammar, putting it all back together, doesn't allow that to hold up at all. And in, in order to get good context, you've got to look at the passages before and the passages after. The passage in Genesis chapter 5 is sandwiched between six generations that came before Enoch and then a few after until you get to Noah. And the six generations before and the few after that came to Noah all do this. And he lived and he had children and he died. And he lived and he had children and he died. And he lived and he had children and he died. Only with Enoch does it say, and he lived 365 years and he was no more for God took him. So what we see is there's no way it could be translated die because it's emphasized that everybody else did die, but something other happened to him. Now, I'm not smart enough to know what the something other was. I just know that he didn't have to go through what, what everybody else on the planet has to go through. And that is a result of him walking with God so closely that it's like the Lord said, bro, I can't leave you here. You're too good. I, I just got to bring you to heaven. I, I, it, it, I'm not going to let you suffer down here anymore. Just come be with me. I don't even know what that means. I kind of like, would like it. If it happened to me, I, 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 I wouldn't complain a bit. Now, I'm not trying to get out of here. I'm not. I'm not trying to get I got too much stuff to do. And there's, there, there, I, I got loved ones who wouldn't want me to go, my wife, my kids. I have friends here who wouldn't want me to go. So I'm not trying to get out. There's still stuff that needs to be accomplished through my life. But I'm not saying I'd be mad if he wanted to take me either. Especially like that. I mean, most of us are not so much of a Christians, not afraid of death. We're just afraid of how we die. Nobody wants to go in a car accident. Nobody wants to go through painful sickness. You just kind of want to go to bed one night, hand in hand with your wife, and wake up in glory. You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't that be the best way to do that? Yeah. See, everybody say, oh, that's nice, Pastor. <laughs> But I don't think, I don't think I'm going to be leaving tomorrow unexpectedly. I think I'm probably going to wake up realizing that Monday's another day where I get to do the will of God on the earth. Having said that, what he went through was extraordinary. What Enoch had as a privilege of walking with God in such a way that God said, come up here and stay, it's extraordinary. And we see that, that his walk was so effective that he pleased God. It says, by faith, Enoch pleased the Lord. So that while he was on the earth, God said, come up here. He took him. If you want to build, if you want to build an on-ramp to the pleasure of God, you cannot do it without the instrument of faith. Faith has got to be something that you employ regularly if you want to make God happy. But most Christians aren't consumed with the idea of making God happy. They're more consumed with making themselves happy. When am I going to get mine? Even in our picking up of the cross, after that, we say, I did that once, and now it's about me. We are surprised when sacrifice requires more than that which we are comfortable giving. We find ourselves in a place where we think, God, when am I going to get 
what you promised me. I'm, I'm seeing everybody else help through my sacrifice, but when are you going to show up for my life? We find ourselves in the unenviable position of living in incongruity with what we believe because we are constantly wanting us to be blessed. And ultimately, we, we, we go to, to the default mode of saying, well, you know, if I can't get what I want here, at least I'm going to go to heaven. And I'm, I'm happy about you going to heaven. Better than the alternative. Much. But what about here? Why can't we live every day trying to bring a smile to the face of God? Practicing the highest and best living according to Scripture. Why does it always have to be about us? What's wrong with us sacrificing and picking up our cross on a daily basis? Saying, Jesus, I'm your servant. Tell me what you want me to do and I'm going to do it. Every day considering it a privilege to be inconvenienced by his will. What's wrong with that if we are real believers? Everything is right about it. To walk in a way that pleases him requires faith. You're going to have to live above the elementary principles of this world and no longer let your circumstances define how you ought to view life, how you ought to view God. Faith is that which doesn't pretend like the world doesn't exist. It doesn't do that. But faith says, I now view the world differently. The circumstances that I see naturally are there to inform me partially, not fully. Yes, I don't feel well today. Yes, I have financial problems. Yes, my marriage is a mess. Yes, my friends are on the outs with me right now. Yeah, my kids don't like me very much. They're rebellious. I see those circumstances, but those circumstances now help me to be informed about how I need to exercise my faith in God to fix them or me or both. And so you engage your faith rather than throwing up your hands and saying, oh, God doesn't care for me. Look at my life. It's such a wreck. No, 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 no. You're saying, I know the Lord's caring for me. I just can't see it through my circumstances right now. This is a valley of the shadow of death. It seems like death is shadowing me every place I go. My relationships are dying. My finances are dying. Everything's dying around me. But the Lord is with me through this. And I'm going to trust him in the middle of my difficulty because I know that he has not abandoned me. That's what faith does. But we like to employ our faith for the most part simply about getting what we want. And when we don't get that, we go to the default of saying, well, at least I'm going to be forgiven for everything I've done or I'll go to heaven. You want to make God happy? Employ your faith on a regular basis to change you or your circumstances in the midst of your life that is not pleasant. And when you get past trying to figure out how to fix you or your life, then we get the privilege of doing what we're supposed to do. I mean, it's never supposed to be about us. It's always supposed to be about us serving the world. As soon as we get the focus and the lens off us, then we can begin to say, wait a minute, my life is not that bad. I know I got issues and I got problems and they need to be addressed, but people who don't have God, they got bigger problems. And I need to exercise my faith to help them get right rather than trying to spend all my energy in prayer saying, God, help me, please. Let him care for you, which he is well able to do while you care for everybody else. Our faith needs to be that which, is the, which builds the on-ramp to his pleasure.
It says, and we're going to start at the end and work our way back in this passage. Without faith, it is impossible to make him happy. And our lives ought to be lived every day trying to figure out that when you, when you lay your head on the pillow, have you been able to bring a smile to God's face? Are you able to hear, well done today? Now, everybody wants to hear that ultimate well done when you get to glory. I want to. But if I don't, that's okay. I mean, I've given it my best shot, and if it wasn't good enough, okay. Because I'll just be happy that I made it. Thank you. That's enough. If I don't, if I didn't do as well as I should have done, I get it. I'm so messed up. I get it. I just want you to know, Jesus, I'm really happy that you let me in. I'm really happy. And I'm sorry I couldn't live as well as I should have, but I'm really happy. And that is not an acquiescing to the fact that we shouldn't live right. We need to live right every day. I'm just letting you know my attitude when I get there that I'm not expecting it. But I mean, what would you do if a father had kids and on his deathbed in the hospital, he gathered all of his kids around, five of them. And then he finally said what they've been asking him to say for the last 40, 40 years. Proud of you. Thanks, Dad. And you're sitting there thinking, why didn't you say that when I was 12? I've been struggling all my life to try to get your approval, and I get it now. And it's more about you making sure that when you pass, you've said the right thing rather than really fulfilling me. We would think the Father did what he's supposed to do, check it off, box, done. But did that make the impact it was supposed to? My point is this. I don't think we have to wait till we get to glory. I think God wants to tell you how happy he is with you now. You can hear well done every day if you want. But he's not going to tell you that if you didn't do well. So my point is live right. And as you continue to live right, you'll have the privilege every night when you put your head on the pillow of seeing God's, God's, the corner of his mouth. Proud of you today. Please him by faith. It's the only way to do it. Now, when we please him by believing, we first must believe that he is. And there are a bunch of categories of believing about the he is. There's a category of the unbeliever who has a struggle trying to figure out, does God really exist? He's either in the, 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 the slot of agnostic or atheist. And then there's the believer who believes that he is, but they don't believe that he is what he, what he wants to be in their life. They believe he is what they need in terms of their expression of faith. So he is that which can save them from their sin and take them to glory. But is he the one that can really help them in their marriage? Is he the one that can heal their body? Is he the one who can fix their finances? Is he, is he the one that can right their curved occupational path? Is he that one? So we need to believe that he is. Even if we believe that he is, we need to believe that he is differently sometimes. And faith ought to be that which is expressed beyond just the orthodoxy that we have been, been handed down through the generations of understanding that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on behalf of our sins, that he took our whooping, that we might, 
no longer have to suffer the consequences of our misdeeds, that he was actually put in a grave, and that on the third day he rose because he, he didn't do anything worthy of death, and now he lives evermore to extend that benefit to us. Those are important things, and they are the foundation of our Christian faith. But if your faith does not excel beyond that, to believe that God can intervene in your circumstances now, then what you've done is secured yourself for glory, but it may not make much difference on Monday. And our faith ought to be that which is exercised like Peter and James and John, that, that as we go through life, God is doing miracles. We are evidencing the fact that he is moving in our lives, that every day we're seeing some amazing things happen. I'm not saying that a miracle needs to occur that is un, undeniable so that everybody sees it. What I'm saying is that your faith is expressed in such a way that you feel his presence in your life regularly, even when you don't feel it. I'm saying that experience ought not be the only, the only indicator that he's there, that you know he is there in the spirit, even though you don't feel it in the natural, that you believe by faith he's there, and he is moving in an extraordinary way behind the scenes that is going to evidence the fact that he was there even when you didn't see it tomorrow, that tomorrow, the next week, the next year, you're going to see, oh, that's what, what that was. I got it. Thank you. You got to believe that he is. He is all that. And the book of uh, Romans, Paul talks about the unbelieving world that has a very difficult time coming to, to grips with, with God. And he says that nobody is with, with, without excuse. Everybody has to be accountable because God has made himself, even if you don't have the scriptures, he said he's made himself evident through that which has been made that you can tell that God exists just through the world that he's created. And he's made it evident to them that even if they don't have scripture, there is no excuse for them not to believe. And you know I love science. I'm a biology major 40 years ago, yes, but I still study it. I am always amazed at how science is helping Christians understand that the Bible is true. Now, we know it's true, but science is helping me a lot. And most would say science is our adversary because... They're trying to, to disprove that humanity doesn't need a God, that natural circumstances can obviously bring things to pass that have come, come into being. And, and, and I, 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 I'll say it this way, that if you study the, the sciences, whether it's astronomy, biology, physics, both Newtonian and quantum mechanics, if you study all that, you come to the conclusion that those guys have to have more faith in what they believe than I do. Because they all believe that at some point, something happened to create all that we have. There's other, nobody, nobody in science denies that. If somebody does, they're really messed up and they call, the science community calls them dumb. Everybody believes that, that there was a moment. But they believe, in contrast to the law of causality, the law of causality says that if something has been created, that there was a cause for that. And that the thing which has been created cannot be its own cause. Because it wasn't in existence to create itself. So if you sit there and look at it naturally, nature can't create nature. The universe can't create the universe. Atoms don't create atoms because they weren't in existence to create them. So there has to be, 
some creator, some force outside of that which has been created naturally that allows for all these things to work together well. And considering the fact that the, the, the chances of all of the universe working as it does boiled down to everything being on a planet like we have where the percentages of our atmosphere are perfect for us. That if we were, if we were just, a, we're 93 million miles away from the sun, if we were a million miles closer, we'd be dead because it would be too hot. We couldn't live there. The ranges of temperatures in which we can thrive are very narrow compared to all the temperatures that are in the universe. The, 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 the temperature of the middle of the sun is tens of millions of degrees hot. There's, in fact, we can come to a degree of absolute cold, but nobody has developed absolute hot. Haven't come to it yet. 473 uh, 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 Celsius, 273 Kelvin on cold. We know that there's things, but you can't even measure that because as soon as you stick a thermometer in it, you've warmed the, the environment. But we know that the temperature is as low as you can get is 273 Kelvin. But we don't know how hot hot is. But we do know this, that we can live in about 150 degrees. 100, it's not even 0.00001 of all the temperature variances in the universe. And we're here. Do I need to go into more things that are beyond the idea of chance to talk about how much faith they have to have that this just happened? It just happened, and you don't have any cause for it. The cause created cause? <laughs> there must be an intelligent force out there that designed this for us. The creation is actually talking to us about how things came into being that evidence he exists. And all I've done is given you a very 35,000 foot view in about three minutes on how science is actually helping us because every time they find something, I find it in my Bible. I find it in my Bible. Now their conclusions are very different than mine. In that they come to the ideas about what that means differently than I come to the ideas about what that means. Yet, when they come to the facts, just as I'm looking at the facts, I said, oh, y'all believe in the Big Bang. Okay, well, my God said, light be. In the beginning, the earth was formed, and boom, things happened. I, I, I got a whole, there's so many things, I can't tell you how much science is confirming my Bible. God has made it evident. He exists. He exists. And if you want to know more how, how he exists in order to, to make sure that we can be well, he not only exists by what he's created, but he exists by intervening into the realm of humanity. So that when humanity has messed things up, he fixes stuff. That's, that's what Jesus did. God intervening into, into humanity's mess to fix what was wrong. And there's no denying, we sang it this morning, he did borrow the grave. He borrowed it. For the better part of three days, it was actually about 38 hours. He borrowed it. And wow, wow, what a day. He's the only one who didn't stay dead. Ever, ever. Amazing.
And not only is he, but we get to approach him. He who is all-powerful. If you ever ask for a superpower, may I encourage you to never ask for the one where you get to read everybody's thoughts. You don't want that one. You want supermans. You want to fly. Be invisible. But you don't want that one. Because you will have no friends. This is what it will be like. You'll see somebody in church. Girl, it's good to see you. Give me a hug. I don't want to hug you at all. I'm so mad at you for what you said on Facebook about me. I know you deleted it, but I saw it first. And you're sitting there thinking, I heard what you didn't say. Be a nightmare. Be a nightmare for you. You couldn't handle it. People walking past you thinking, oh, they need to lose a little weight. Well, who are you? I mean, you want to just start talking to people. Those people who have those thoughts would not make very good company for you because you know what they thought about you. (laughs) Somehow or another, God thinks it's a great idea to bring you close. He who knows everything you think about him, everything you've ever said about him, how mad you were when he didn't do what you wanted him to do, How how you didn't even thank him when he did something for you. You know how you are when you send out a little gift for somebody's wedding and, and they forgot to put you on the thank you list? You're not going to talk about them. You're not going to say anything. You're not going to send them a note and say, how come I didn't get my thank you? But in your brain, you're thinking, mm. <laughs> Aren't you glad God doesn't go, mm? How many times would he have to do it a day? A day. You call them names. You ascribe to him neglect because he didn't meet your needs when you wanted. You said he wasn't there when he was. So many things he knows about you. And none of them does he use to keep you away. He says, come close. Come. We get to come close. We get to walk we get to walk up to the presence of the creator of the universe and experience what it's like to be with him. Not just, experience, not just experience the benefits that he has, but to be with him. Come, this passage says. In Hebrews earlier, in chapter 4, it talks about the benefits that Jesus gave with respect to him dying on the cross. And it says that, As a result of everything he did for us, we can now come boldly, verse 16, chapter 4, come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, if I were to ever come before a king, I don't know that I would ever come before any king boldly. They got all power. They could do whatever they wanted to me at any time. That's what a king has in terms of, of privilege. So I'd come with some degree of trepidation and great respect. But the writer of Hebrews says, I can come boldly. And surely not with God would I come boldly. I mean, he is, he knows everything I've done. He has the power to judge me. 
maybe on all fours. Maybe on all fours. If he would, if he would even allow me in his presence, maybe on all fours. But I get to come boldly. And it's not because I'm, I've done anything worthy of being in his presence. It's because I'm hiding myself in Christ who has done it all for me. And he's forgiven me of my sin that would cause me to be separated from my God. And if I come in any other way other than boldness, I'm somehow diminishing the impact that Jesus gave to me as a result of his sacrifice. And so I'm not coming on the arrogance of my own deeds and and accomplishments. I'm coming on what Jesus has done for me. So I can come in with great confidence, not because bread is great, but because Jesus was. No arrogance at all. And I come boldly, not in fear, before the throne of God. And he says... Anybody who does that comes before the throne of grace, not the throne of judgment. This invites us because most most kings have a throne of judgment. They're there to decide good and evil, wrong and right, bring about justice to those who need it. But this throne is a throne of grace. He's giving me access and mercy. I don't know why, because I'm not good enough to receive it. But he's doing this for me because he just kind of loves me like that. He is amazing that he would even want to, to invite me there. And he says, you find grace and mercy to help in the time of need. That's, that's the throne to which we come. You want to please him? First, believe that he is. Second, know you have the privilege of coming. And in that context, Come. What are you waiting for? Why don't you access his throne daily? Get up a little earlier and spend some time with your God who loves you. Take time off lunch. Spend 15 minutes in his word just loving him and appreciating all he's done for you. Spend some moments in prayer aside from all the activities of the day. Come aside and entreat the throne of grace for all that you need to accomplish all that he's called you to do. He says, come. And then on this last point of, of point number one, <laughs> he says, when you come, you can actually walk. Now, parallel passage to this is over in Genesis 5, as I said. And this is where it says that Enoch's dad lived such and such. I think his name was Jared. And he gave birth to Enoch. And Enoch lived 365 years and gave birth to Methuselah. And then Methuselah lived, and then Enoch walked with God, and he was no more, for God took him. There is a way that we should walk that doesn't allow us to stay in the same spot. I was a senior in high school, and I played football, and they had... had Senior day, and that's when all the parents get to participate with their children at halftime. And so they had the dads come out and meet their kid, and the kid was supposed to meet him at the 50-yard line and then walk back to the sideline. The dads were starting at the end of the end zone, somewhere around the goal line, uh, beyond the goal line, the end of the end zone. And they had to walk 50 or 60 yards all the way to the middle of the field. And then once their name was called, the dad's name was called, then the son was to go out and meet them. So I was standing on the sidelines, and the parents were supposed to walk out when, the, when their preceding parent got to maybe the 10, 15-yard line. 
And once they knew they got there, then they were supposed to walk so there was not a huge lag of 70, 50, 60 yards between the two, and then it took forever to introduce the parents with the kids. But their name was not called until they got almost to the 50. So I'm sitting there waiting, and my dad starts walking when the preceding parent was at the 10 or 20. And uh, the guy standing next to me on the sideline said, hey, that's your dad, isn't it? I said, yeah, how'd you know? He said, said, you walk like him. I got born again in 1981. Indiana University gave my heart to Jesus. Greatest day of my life. I didn't walk very closely to him at that time. I tried. But I, I, just, I just didn't get his gait. How he... It's like, it's like dancing with a partner when they know the moves, but you don't. You go to a dance class and you're, you're learning the, the cha-cha. And you're not... You're, you're, you're chying when they should be not chying and, and things. And you're, you're stepping on one of those feet. <laughs> And I didn't know how to walk well. But I kept trying. I said, I'm going to get these steps down. Okay, right foot. Oh, yeah, that was good. That good? Okay, now left foot. Ah, that seems, that, that, that felt more. And then right foot, left foot. And then you just get a little groove to what you're doing. <laughs> and now you don't have to think about it very much. Because you've learned a new way to walk. And somehow between 1981 and now, I've learned to walk, not perfectly, but at least consistently enough, whereby when people look at me, they, they say, your daddy's God, isn't it? Yeah, how'd you know? You walk like him. Can anybody say that about you? You don't have to be a pastor to qualify for this one. You just have to learn to walk well. Can anybody say that about you? I am hoping to God that your life is so emulative of Christ's that you barely have to talk about who you are before people talk about who you are. That you don't have to explain, oh, I'm a Christian. And then when you say, I'm a Christian, they go... Mm. I had no idea. You don't want that to be the response. You want them to say, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I, I, I hadn't seen real believers, not a lot of them, but I figured that's what Jesus would do. And your explanation only becomes co- co- a confirmation of everything they have seen in your life. If what they have seen in your life is not distinct from what they see in their own life or the life of other people who are just like them, then when you open your mouth to identify with Christ, they are confused at best. And you probably reconfirm to them, this Christian thing ain't worth it. I knew they were all hypocrites. They just go in there to get guilt relieved. They don't do anything different than me I don't need it if that's what it is I don't need it walking with God gives you the privilege of understanding how to walk well 
how you step. And Jesus said this as I close, and I'm not going to get to finish my message. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11, 29 and 30. Come to me. He invited people to come, which is my previous point. And he says, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is, is light. Yoke, we who are not agrarian, it's that thing that you put on two animals to make them function as one. So it's a big wooden bar, generally. And because we have tractors today, we rarely use animals in order to do our plowing or harvesting. But this yoke would, would have two major cutout areas in which animals could uh, set under. And then you'd have one set of reins that would direct the yoke in the way it should go so the animals knew which way to turn, how fast to go, and they'd feel it. In the Old Testament, it was prohibited to have two animals that were different under the same yoke. Why? Not because it was intrinsically bad, but because you had a donkey and an ox in the same yoke. A donkey is short, an ox is taller. So the yoke goes like this. And it chafes on the donkey. The donkey moves with pretty quick pace. Fast little feet. The ox. And so when the donkey is pulling, the ox is not. They can't step at the same time in order to pull together. So it's harder to plow when you have two animals that aren't the same. Because they don't work together. And the chafe, chafing of the yoke makes it very uncomfortable for the animals. But when you get two animals that are equal, same animals, and you put the yoke on them, then they somehow communicate to one another. Listen, it's easier for both of, both of us if you step when I step. And although they can't talk like we talk, when you see two oxen plowing together, they're going like this. Both of them. Legs moving at the same time. Because they realize it's easier when we move together to make this thing go. God is trying to plow with you. And, and when you first come in the kingdom, you're equally yoked in theology but not in practice. In that your gait is very different than his. And you feel the chafing. Boy, this kingdom thing just doesn't seem very natural. I got to say no to everything that I used to say yes to. It just, it just doesn't feel right. It just, it's uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. It's, I don't know how to work it. Takes a few years of saying, Jesus, how'd you step? How'd you step? First John 2, 6 says this. He who believes in Christ must walk just as he did. Your goal is to make the walk that you have so much like Jesus's that everybody looks at you and says, I know your daddy. Now, I don't know him, but I've heard about him. And everybody who talks about him says he, he walks like that. I want to walk like that. Your marriage is great. Your kids are great. You're an you're a fabulous employee. You never get in the gossip we get into. God blesses you all the time, and I don't even know him, but I just want what you got. Because when I think about how you live, that has to be really close to the way God wants humanity to be.
How do you get there? You walk by faith. By faith, Enoch was pleasing. And as a result, he went to another level. I don't have any, any delusions that somehow we're going to read on, 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 on the internet through social media that you aren't here anymore tomorrow. That you walked with God to such a degree that you left. I don't think that's ever happened. In, there were a couple of guys in the Old Testament. Elijah, you got to say, well, what happened to him? He got taken up by a chair to fire. And, eh, yeah. But this is the only one where he was just walking and, and then wasn't. I don't think that's going to happen to you. But I do know what can happen to you is that if you walk with him, you won't stay where you are. You'll go to another level. It may not be all the way to heaven, but he will take you someplace. He walked with God and he was no more for God took him. Where do you want to go in God? Where? Walk well. Obey this Bible. And watch how he will not leave you where you are. Let's pray. Love you, Lord. Help us as a people to walk the way we should.